Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And Mike, we are nearing the end of our tennis season, now into the fall swing of things and uh, still getting plenty of great guests, including uh, one new one this week. That's right. And and I don't know if you can get excited about the end of the tennis season in October because there is still a good month and change to go. But uh, to help push us forward and get us there is uh, a guest who's heavily involved in promoting the sport of tennis. Uh, she's the most well-known influencer in the sport at the moment and has recently launched the Overserve Tennis Podcast as well. We're pleased to welcome for the first time to Matchpoint Canada, our good friend, Rachel Stuhlman. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be on. Happy yeah, to have very- you here. Very First happy appearance. to have you. That's right. Long overdue. <laughs> I know it's about time. <laughs> Thanks yeah, for well, no, of course. I, I know we we had the pleasure of meeting you obviously last year when you visited the tournaments in Toronto and Montreal. And I know you have a, a strong tennis background maybe you can tell us just a bit about when you first got in the sport when you started playing uh maybe a bit about your your college career and then the role you occupy now as a as a tennis influencer yeah absolutely so i'm actually a triplet i don't know if i told you guys that i've got a brother and a sister all born the same day and when we were five years old um our parents told us to pick a sport different from each other so we wouldn't be competing and my brother chose ice hockey my, my sister did like gymnastics and swimming and, and I picked tennis. I don't know why neither of my parents played. Um, but you know, I loved it from that young age of five years old and then, um, you know, practice for a very long time and took it pretty seriously from a young age. I knew I really wanted to be a good player, um, played in high school, played the USTA junior circuit, was recruited by quite a lot of schools, chose to, um, go to university of Missouri, chose to be close to home and play college tennis there. And um, yeah, it was a, a really fun experience, that college experience. I had two years in the Big 12, two years in the SEC conference. And um, yeah, since then, um, you know, it's, I never really thought that I'd be doing something like what I am today. I thought I'd be playing tennis my whole life. I wanted to play professionally. Um, but yeah, I, uh, you know, right after college, I took the highest paying coaching opportunity. I was offered by country clubs, academies colleges but it took me to the highest paying one took me to Sun Valley Idaho at a very nice country club and I coached out there for 10 months when I was out there I was really thinking about I still want to be a part of professional tennis I have so many thoughts and ideas around the sport um I'm going to hire a website designer designer and write um articles about what you know I'm thinking in the sport about fashion and tennis about my friends on tour who have their own stories comparing tennis players to their basketball playing counterpart. And they really, really were well-received by a lot of people. And from those articles came a lot of opportunities in media. I you know, was approached by a tennis software company and I um, you know, spearheaded their tennis content show where I would interview the players, never given an interview, just kind of learn along the way. And then from there, I helped um, you know, begin the Tennis One app and was their digital media host and then Sports Talk Radio and then uh, an ambassador for the Sophia Open in Bulgaria and then just a lot, a lot of different things that I said yes to. And uh, along the way, I really just kind of grew my brand. I, it's really important for me to, um, you know, share how beautiful the sport is, how there's so many different tournaments around the world I feel like no one's even aware of. So mm-hmm. I really wanted to highlight that. And that's kind of what's brought me to where I am today. And once again, I am the least talented tennis player on the panel uh, on a podcast <laughs> here, as as so often it ends up going. 
Um, I like by the I like by the way how your parents put you and the two other triplets, your siblings, into different sports. I think that's. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just put all three of my kids into hockey. And yeah, there is that competitiveness sometimes between them. But uh, they also help each other out. So there's some positives too. Um, Rachel, a lot of positives for you in 2023. Like you say, you've been growing your brand. And we just seem to see you popping up in all sorts of places. You're all over the map, both in the United States and abroad. You've been to so many different tournaments this year and a lot of promotional events as well. I'm wondering, what are some of the highlights for you this year in terms of covering and engaging with the sport? Yeah. So for me, you know, there have been so many really cool opportunities, um, you know, last year and this year especially. And uh, for me, it always is like kind of that U.S. Open is a huge moment for me, kind of like career wise. And um, you know, if everyone's there, it's my home base. It's like uh, events nonstop, um, great tennis. You know, everyone from the industry is there. So you get to meet them. You get to go out with them. You get to party. You get to go to a lot of player parties. Uh, U.S. Open was definitely, uh, if you were to ask me on that, like the highlight of the year, that would be it for sure. But then I also, um, you know, did some other cool things. Like I um, went to the Ultimate Tennis Showdown in L.A., got to experience that for the first time, um, helped them with some content pieces, uh, which was really, really cool. It's that different format. Um, and it was just that was very well received by the entire crowd with, uh, you know, these days, very short attention span. So it was really fun to see everyone in the crowd just like. Um, paying attention the entire time. And then, of course, going back to earlier in the year, um, Indian Wells was big as well as Miami. And pretty soon here, I can't believe it, but I'm already starting to plan for that for for next year. Same here. Same here. And uh, I do have to say, though, you you missed a big one this year, not coming to Toronto or Montreal. So uh, you'll have to make up for that next year. But you're on the podcast. So that, I guess, gets you some points up here north (laughs) of the border as well. Um, I want to ask you, you mentioned the, the social aspect of the game. You know, Ben and I are kind of strictly tennis for the most part, but you get to go to some events where you get to see players, you know, out of their natural element, off the court. Who are a couple of players that you got to sort of, you know, bump into this year off the court that maybe shared a little bit of their personality that fans might not see just watching them um, in their matches? Yeah, you know, I always, um, you know, I, I feel really lucky because interviewing a lot of the players I do get to see that kind of off-court personality who they are as a person not in that competitive mode like I have to win mode and um you know I get asked a lot like is anyone really mean is anyone um you know not been a great interview for you and and luckily everyone's actually so nice everyone's very down to earth very kind um willing to like give up their time for the interview um you know of course uh Andre Rublev comes to mind I always mentioned him but um he's such a competitor on the court uh and like very feisty wears his heart on the on his sleeve in person he's just so soft spoken and sweet I got to talk to him a little bit at the uh taste of tennis in New York and catch up with him and he's just a very very nice guy um and then also Casper Root as well I ran into him at Indian Wells just super super kind guys and uh it's been fun like I said to like kind of get to know a lot of these players off the court because it can be so stressful when they're when they're playing, but um, you know, off the court, they're they're usually great great people. Yeah, yeah, I think we've had that ex- uh, same experience, Mike and I as well, meeting some of these athletes who who do pass through Toronto for for the week or so, and and they've always been uh, kind and generous with their time, which we appreciate. You you mentioned U.S. Open as the highlight, and I I always feel kind of post U.S. Open that final slam of the season that 
there is a bit of fatigue from the tennis fan, but there's, there's still a lot of great tennis happening. And if we talk some tennis now, we look at the fall swing. We just had Yannick Sinner, who was our Toronto champion, have just this incredible week in Beijing. He beat uh, Alcaraz and Medvedev back-to-back in the semis and the final. I'm wondering your thoughts on maybe Sinner and a couple other names who you think can maybe eventually enter the slam discussion on the men's side, which was, of course, dominated by Novak and, and Carlos this year. Yeah, you know, I feel like, you know, as you just mentioned, it being so dominated by those two players, I feel like Yannick's been a little bit overlooked. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's all it's been all about Alcaraz. And uh, Yannick's the one that really gives Alcaraz, like, that tough battle besides Djokovic. He's that player that I think is, like, it's his toughest competitor. And um, so I feel like he has been overlooked, but he's, you know, he, he got that big win in Canada he got this win last week. I think he's really pr- starting to prove himself that, like, it's not just Elkaraz and Djokovic. Like, Yannick is in that equation as well. And um, I think that's been really good. I think a, a big piece to his game is his ability to stay healthy, um, which I think has been a little bit difficult for him in the past. But if he can stay healthy, if he can keep, you know, competing at the level that he is, uh, I think that he absolutely is in that, um, you know, slam conversation. And uh, as someone like yourself, you played obviously at a high level collegiately in, in tennis. I have to ask who are maybe some of the women's names you, you have your eye on. Obviously, it must have been special seeing Coco Goff breakthrough and win her first U.S. Open title. Uh, but it, it feels still like there's a lot of that parity that exists uh, on the women's side, which makes it so compelling. Yeah, no, Coco, I mean, she's had an unbelievable summer up to now. And I think that she really, really, um, you know, prove yourself that she's that top player in the game. I think she'll reach number one here pretty soon. Um, aside from Coco, it's been a little bit, you know, inconsistent on that woman's side. The players that I feel like, uh, you know, had great years last year, like I, I think about Hans Jabeur and like um, even uh, Rebecca, she's she's my favorite. I love, I think Rebecca is amazing. Um, they haven't had the best seasons this year. Um, so I think that Coco really kind of is dominating. Of course, we can't not talk about Iga. Um, she's also doing well. I think she just beat Coco, didn't she? Yeah. At um, one of the things. Yeah. So um, she's, you know, still up there, but a little bit more inconsistent on the women's side. Um, Jessica Vigula is doing really well, and she's been consistently in that top five. Uh, so I am excited to kind of see where she uh, goes as well. I think the year end, um, finals is going to be really interesting. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about the end of the the tennis season, because as I kind of joked at the start, it is so long and grueling. And I remember when I was a kid growing up, like I didn't pay attention to the tennis season after the U S open, you know, the final slam of the year happened. <laughs> that was it. I checked out. And even when I started in the media, you're kind of like, Oh, it's hard to sustain that, that interest and that, you know, for the entire calendar year, basically it's like no other sport truly. Um, how do you sustain your interest in the sport at this time of year? What are the events or the moments or the things that keep you going between now and uh, the end of November or so? Well, it's so funny because after the U.S. Open, a bunch of my friends were like, what are you going to do the rest of your tennis is over? And I'm like, it is absolutely not, not over. There are so many tournaments. It's an Asian swing. It's um, a lot of exhibitions this time of year. Like, um, you know, I am deciding my schedule kind of this fourth quarter and, and beginning to plan. I've got, uh, Rolex Paris Masters on the radar. I've got Turin, a bunch of um, exhibitions. There's one in Turks and Caicos. There's one in Baja Mar. Um, 
And then I know there's the Necker Cup. Um, I would love, so I many... would love to go to the Necker Cup. Is that the Richard Branson one? Yeah, that no, looks that pretty would, exclusive. Yeah, that yeah. yeah, that would be insane. Um, but there's a lot of things like that. And then you know, also there's that uh, what is it called the the World Tennis League in Dubai. That um, as well, an exhibition like these players. This is not no one's resting right now. Season's not over. There's a lot of events um, going on. And it's funny because like they have that um, kind of it's like the end of November, December that there really isn't, I think, ATP or WTA events. But there are these exhibitions, like I said, World Tennis League, All-American Cup as well might be doing that. Um, So that, yeah, there's it's not over. And it's funny because like after I got all those comments about like, what are you doing after the US? So there's nothing going on. I, I did make a post specifically like on Instagram. I'm like, here are the, here are five like events going on right now. It's the Asian swing. It's, um, it's ultimate tennis showdown. It's, you know, Davis cup. There's a lot going on. It just never, it gone. just never ends. And I always find it kind of funny how the players, you know, complain and rightly so on one level, how the season is so long and grueling, but then, yeah, they sign up for all those exhibitions in December to, either get a little bit more money or get ready for the next tennis season. Um, it's, it's almost like they're, uh, you know, their own worst enemy in that sense. Um, want to ask you about your new podcast about overserved, uh, which has been going on since uh, midsummer, I want to say, uh, and I definitely enjoyed a few of those early episodes and I got to get caught up a bit now. Um, what, what are, what would, what would get anyone to decide to get into the podcast game? Like who in their right mind would do a tennis podcast? Obviously <laughs> me, and, me and Ben have been enjoying it now for, for five years with Matchpoint Canada we're always happy to see new people come to the table and, and, you know, we, we take things from other podcasts. We listen in, we're always kind of keen to see what our um, not competitors, right. But our friends in the sport are doing. Um, tell us a bit about your podcast and, and what you have coming up in terms of plans to close out 2023. Yeah, absolutely. So um, with Overserved, it's been really fun. Like I, it's something I always kind of wanted to do, like do a tennis podcast. I feel like I have a lot of thoughts and opinions on the game. And so the opportunity kind of presented itself to me. Got a great co-host, um, Joseph Picciarelli, and he, uh, you know, he was, uh, he's more on kind of like the college football. He did uh, some reality TV, um, but he knows his tennis stuff, so it's been really fun to kind of bounce conversations off of him in the podcast. Um, so it's we're going for more of like a pop culture, like not gossipy, but just kind of like filling you in up today. Here's what's going on around the sport, not just on the court, but off the court as well. And uh, it's been a really fun way for me to able to be able to kind of like voice my opinions um, about different issues in the sport um, and things like that. So it's been really fun uh, to be able to do that podcast. That's really cool. I, I have to ask because, you know, you, you gave us your backstory and in tennis, uh, beyond playing at a high collegiate level and, and coaching, do you still find the time to, to get out on the court regularly? Or are you still someone who keeps it up these days? I feel like I always need to stay like at least, like just tune up just a little bit just in case there's yeah, some yeah. kind of charity thing I plan or hop in an exhibition or hop in like some kind of like um coaching thing or whatever but I also do these content pieces these instructional content pieces where I'll kind of like um do a drill for and put it in a video and do a voiceover and explain it to my followers so I always want to make sure that I don't look like you know really I don't know cold or whatever um so yeah I play I try and play at least once a week sometimes uh traveling so much it's really hard but uh yeah once a week just try and stay tuned up a little bit 
Is is the two-handed backhand the weapon based on based on seeing a short clip of you? That looks like the strength <laughs> of the game right there. Yeah, that was definitely my favorite okay. shot and my best shot. Uh, backhand down the line. That was my little specialty. Nice. Yeah. I most I most definitely have never taken any videos and shared with any of our listeners or followers. Ben, although <laughs> although you did take one of me at the fastest serve booth at the NBO last last summer, I think I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Rachel, how did that go? Well, anyway, let's move on. There's I don't think we have time. <laughs> it was not bad. It was not bad. Yeah, he did okay. This summer, I was actually the leader. I was the leader at the fastest serve booth um, for all of about probably 15 minutes when I made sure I was the first person of the day to line up to. Um, to drop the hammer that's so the that's, way to do it that's how you do it that's the secret <laughs> and uh Rachel, my last question for you it's been great having you on with us today um we met a couple of years ago here in canada at the event and you really seemed to enjoy what i think was your first tournament here in canada or first big one anyways want to share any of the highlights that you remember from from visiting up us uh, up here in in canada eh? yeah yeah well first um you know i kind of I just went kind of last minute on my own. I'm like, I know that I want to go to these tournaments this summer. I at first was like, I'm just going to go to Toronto. Um, and when I went there, like I said, I was by myself. But one thing I always remember is that you and I can't remember his name, but it was two Chico. other guys and they were so Chico. Nico. Yeah. And um, you guys were so nice to me, like very welcoming. And like I said, I was by myself. I was kind of at the um, draw ceremony, which was in the tower. The entire, um, which was unbelievable. That was like the coolest thing ever. Um, I was by myself and was just kind of there and was feeling a little bit awkward. And you guys really were really sweet. Came over and talked to me, and and uh, I feel like the three of us became pretty good friends after that. And um, aside from that, and like that cool draw ceremony, um, I love the city of Toronto and Montreal. Um, the tournament is so well run. I met the director, Carl, right? Carl, Carl Hill. Hill yep. Yeah. And he was also extremely kind, um, had some good conversations with him. Just such a well-run tournament. It's, it's a great grounds. Um, you can really watch, you know, all the matches. The courts are lined up perfectly. That stadium also is beautiful. Um, and I got to see some really great matchups there. Uh, so, yeah, I love Toronto. And I remember it was literally like, uh, I think like less than a day till my till my flight from Toronto back home, and I was like, you know what? No, I'm in Canada. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Montreal, and I put together the Montreal trip just very last minute. Flew over there. Uh, Montreal was unbelievable as well. I loved that city. Um, and so yeah, I think both tournaments were super well run. Everyone's really really nice. And uh, yeah, I really do hope. I was sad I couldn't come this year, but I do hope to make it there next year. Well, we hope to see you back. And and I love how you mentioned the draw ceremony because I think Ben will agree for us. That's like reconnecting with old friends that we haven't seen mm -hmm. since the previous installment yep. and then meeting and making new friends as well and people who look like they're a little lost and we try and fill them in on how things <laughs> work up here. So happy to to help you out in that way. Yeah, thank you so much. No, that, was, that was so much fun. That was such a good experience. Well, thank you so much, Rachel, uh, for, for coming on to Matchpoint Canada and we wish you uh, a great rest of the season. Thanks, you guys. And I understand it's a big holiday for, for you guys in Canada. So happy Thanksgiving to you guys. I oh, appreciate done. that. Well done. Yeah, thank well, you so okay. much. Thanks, that was, uh, yeah, thank you so much. That was Rachel Stolman. Uh, you can find her on both Twitter and Instagram at rstolman uh, on both platforms. If we carry on, Mike, and just continue 
talking some men's tennis. I know we touched on Yannick Sinner a little bit. With this victory in China just this past week, he's up to a world number four. And that feels pretty suitable if I, I sort of look at the seasons that everybody's had on the men's side with Djokovic understandably holding that world number one, winning three of four slams, Alcaraz number two, Medvedev three, and now Yannick number four, that it feels like the final step for him is, you know, getting to a grand slam final and, and contending for one of those, those huge, huge slams. That's it. And I think he set himself up nicely now that there's no more slams in 2023. But I think he sort of put the building blocks in place for 2024 to be a, another big season for him. And we saw what we could do, what he could do live here in Toronto. I mean, what a week mm-hmm. that was for him. Uh, had a couple of, you know, fortunate uh, results with a, a walkover. And um, I think one that uh, did his opponent withdraw. I think he had another one that was kind of shorter, if, if memory serves correctly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what a week. And, and seeing a player have that moment um live is always very exciting i mean that was the biggest win he's had to date in his career i have no doubt there's going to be bigger ones or similar ones at the masters 1000 level coming up but it's always fun when you see that live here um in toronto for us i mean i recall belinda bencich a few years ago when she had that big breakout moment stefano cc passed a couple of years ago even though he didn't win the event making it to the finals beating um djokovic along the way Mm-hmm. It's cool to be there for those moments where you can feel, hey, this is not just like a one-off. This is someone who's been progressing. They've been putting in the hours. They have the talent as well. And seeing it unfold before your eyes like that. It's it's almost shocking to me, actually, that he's just now qualified for the end of year Nito ATP finals for the first time. It, it feels, you know, odd that he hadn't qualified in the past, even even last year. I think he served as an alternate before maybe, but but didn't get into the action. Uh that you look at his talent and pedigree, uh he absolutely belongs there. I have to think he's going to be at that event for years to come. And look, he's I'm not going to say he has Alcaraz's number, but He's really the only player outside of Novak Djokovic who has, in some sense, solved Carlos and now leads that head-to-head four to three. Wow, impressive! I uh, I don't know if I would have guessed that he was actually ahead in that one now, but uh, you gotta have someone to challenge Carlos. Just like on the women's side, you need someone to challenge Iga or challenge Coco. I mean, we don't want to see one person just take the reins and run with it. At least I'd rather see it a little bit more competitive than that. And mm-hmm. so, uh, yeah, he's certainly in that mix, in that small group, in that mix there. And um, yeah, just, I don't know. I'm excited. This is what excites me. The the latter part of the year is when you see things like this happening and you want to see the big names go up against each other. I was going to say to just sort of, you know, piggyback on what Rachel was saying. I'm excited for the WTA and ATP finals uh, later this year as well. Both have a group of eight players that I think are going to produce some really dynamic and exciting results. Um, so I do think there's still, even though I got to kind of kick myself in the butt and remind myself these things are happening late in the tennis season, there are things that are going to sustain my attention. And, and that's one of them. Yeah. But before we shift over to the women's side and we'll get to the WTA finals, cause that final eight is set. Um, Felix Ojeale seem we're, we're looking for some kind of momentum. I, I thought he played pretty well at Laver cup. You're not going to be awarded, you know, any ranking points from Laver Cup. Uh, instead, here in in China and Beijing, loses his opening round match to Martin Fuksovic. Three hours, 21 minutes, uh, losing in the third, six to four. Another kind of devastating loss where you feel like, I feel like Felix can't catch a break in the sense that he's had a lot of tight matches go against him this season. And I have to think part of that is confidence and self-belief as you head towards the finish line of a match where you're not getting those wins. 
Yeah, we've mentioned it so many times. And, you know, you, you mentioned the Labour Cup and how that seemed to be a little bit of a spark for him. But mm-hmm. you got to also keep in mind, like, Labour Cup is not really, I don't consider that on the same level as these other events. And so, you know, he's not going to come up against Gael Monfils in these Asian events, who's going to be maybe playing it a little bit light, you know, as right. he was accused of sort of doing out in Vancouver. If you're going to fly all the way over to that part of the world, you want to make that trip count. And so it's going to be, yeah, super competitive players who are trying to salvage their seasons, get some final ranking points to give them a bit of a boost to head into next year. Um, And for Felix, it just, oh my goodness, I think we've kind of run out of ways actually to try and analyze what's going on behind the scenes there. Um, And he is about to enter into, if you want to talk about pressure, the most pressure filled part of his season where he's got, and remains to be seen if he's going to play all three of these events, but he's got three events where he's the defending champion. Even if he wins them, all he's doing is maintaining current ranking. He can't even get ahead over the next month of the season. No, exactly. Uh, Unfortunately, probably have to deal with the tough reality. It's going to be quite a potential slide in the rankings right now. I mean, he's 15th right now. You know, that's not disastrous, but if you're talking about, say, losing the potential to lose a thousand ranking points, uh, which is there, uh, that would certainly see him fall, you know, kind of out outside of seeded territory. I, I hope that doesn't happen. I hope he's able to string some wins together. It feels like, in a sense, maybe he can find some better tennis at an ATP 250 where the competition isn't quite as stiff, but uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh just one thing on Carlos Alcaraz. Shanghai, by the way, underway. So we do have that Masters happening. It's a 10-day event. So it's actually started mid last week and will wrap up Sunday. Carlos Alcaraz, the number one seed there. He was asked about uh, Novak Djokovic as he's chasing this world number one ranking. He said, he was asked, is Djokovic, you know, at all on your mind? He says, Novak Djokovic is on my mind every single practice. I thought that was not only like cool, but it, it ups the intensity of that rivalry. That's intense. And and for a 20-year-old to already have that mindset, I mean, my, that's that's dialed in. That's super focused. And for him to admit that, it's not, it's not a joke. He's not just playing up to the media. That's uh, He's going for it. He wants it back. And they've traded it how many times this season already? Six times, seven times? I mean, it's been phenomenal. That What we hope for, if I think back to January when we were doing our first podcast of the year, we said, boy, wouldn't it be great to see these two have some epic battles in 2023? And they've more than delivered on that front. French Open Mm -hmm. semis, Wimbledon finals, Cincinnati. um, And it's lived up to the billing, which has been great because sometimes when you have the expectations for a a developing, emerging potential rivalry, it doesn't always hit the mark. And these two hit the mark this year. And the way that Alcaraz is talking, it just makes your mouth water for hopefully a few more matches, you know, before this season is done. Yeah, no question. We'll recap Shanghai next week. If we look uh, over to the women's side at the China Open, I call this tournament Iga Sviantek's response. You know, since she lost that world number number one ranking to Arena Sabalenka, for her to come over to Beijing and basically dominate the week. She did lose one set to Caroline Garcia, but but apart from that, uh, she defeats Garcia, dominates Coco Goff in straight sets, then beats Ludmilla Samsonova in the finals to win her sixth career WTA 1000 title. Uh, You know, she said the key for her in the week was that she was able to play freely without the stress of having that number one ranking, without the target on her back. I think that just makes her even more dangerous now. Yeah, well said. And, you know, just because it was the summer of Coco Goff, and it most certainly was Coco's summer, didn't mean Ego was going to roll over and wave the white flag and say, all right, that's it. I'm going to, you know, just peace out. See you later. 
obviously that was going to increase her hunger, make her train harder. Um, and, and so this doesn't surprise me at all. But also, you know, that being said, her win here and her win over Coco, uh, once again, doesn't mean to me that uh, that it's back to Iga dominating. So I kind of like this back and forth. I hope we continue to see this. I think the final eight that we have at the WTA finals, which I believe, Ben, you were telling me, I think is, is already set, correct? Yep. Yep. I, so, I'll, I'll run through it right now if you want. Yeah. And that's and this is the, you know, before you list them, this is to me the, the strongest group of eight that we've seen in some time. I'm so stoked to see how this plays out because you've got a, a list of slam champs, uh, players who've been in the mix or deep at all the big events this year. These are the eight that most certainly belong there. There's no eyebrow raises when you look at the players who are there. Yeah, I, I think it's absolutely stacked, as you said. I mean, Arena Sabalenka, of course, there. Iga Shvianta, Coco Goff, Elena Rybakina is there. Jessica Pagula, Anja Burr, Karolina Muhova, and Marketa Vondrasova, the two fantastic Czech players. So if you run down this list of eight, we have all four of the slam winners with Sabalenka winning the Australian, the French Open going to Iga, Wimbledon going to Vondrasova, and then Goff taking the US Open. You have the Australian Open finalist and Indian Wells and Rome champion, who's Rybakina. You have Anz Jabur, the Wimbledon finalist. You have Jessica Pagula, who's, again, compiled a very strong season. Of course, a winner in Montreal and, and regularly in the mix, making quarterfinals of slams. I mean, what a deep field and absolutely stacked roster. I forgot to mention Carolina Muhova, finalist at French Open. She was the finalist, uh, semi-finalist at the U.S. Open. She's had an amazing season as well. So really, really deep. And I would say very wide open as well. I'm eager to see how they fall, like who ends up in which pool, because that yeah. will definitely, you know, it's hard to say out of those top eight. Well, I think so-and-so is going to win until you see how it plays out with the draw and who they're stacked up against. Um, is interesting to note if my calculations are correct, but uh, Coco Goff has the chance to be the youngest winner of the WTA finals since Maria Sharapova in 2004, who was 17 at the time, so a little bit younger, obviously, than where Coco is now. But it's typically been more established, I want to say, veteran uh, or players who've been around for a while. So we'll see if Coco can sort of buck that trend here, but uh, definitely going to be tuning in for those matches um, when that comes to be. No doubt. And Iga Sviantek, by the way, with that title in Beijing, she's the first player since Serena Williams, actually, with five or more titles in back-to-back seasons. I thought that was a really impressive statistic. Layla Fernandez did fall in qualifying in Beijing. She's now playing in Hong Kong, which is underway. Unforgiving draw. Uh, she'll be playing Victoria Azarenka, who's the number one seed at the event. So, you know, getting thrown into the fire. Maybe that's what Layla needs. Gets you know, if she can get a big time victory over over a top 20 player, maybe she can find some momentum as uh, we, you know, finish towards the end of the season. Layla will also, of course, be representing Canada at the Billie Jean King Cup finals. That's set for November 8th. Layla, Gabriela Dabrowski, Rebecca Marino, Jeannie Bouchard and the, the Marina pickleballer? Sakushi. <laughs> pickleballer Jeannie Bouchard wow. is coming back. And Marina Sakushik, who will make her first ever appearance after winning two ITF titles and being named ITF Player of the Month for September. So I, I like the roster that Canada's sending. Yeah, I like the roster too. I wish Bianca Andreescu was on the roster, but clearly still not, you know, ready and healthy to come back for competition. Would love to see her at some point before the season closes out, but you wonder the longer it goes whether that's a realistic possibility or not. Um, but Layla is, you know, once again, going to be at the top of the group here for Canada and uh, counted on in singles. Gabby in doubles, of course, Rebecca Marino, also very flexible in in either one. And and I like seeing Jeannie there, you know, all jokes aside, 
I'm very glad that Jeannie's there. You wonder how many more opportunities she's going to have to be a part of the Billie Jean King Cup squad for Canada, but uh, been there many times over the years. And nice to see Marina Stakushik there as well with, um, you know, how well she's played lately. For her to learn from the veterans on the team and uh, and be in that environment is great. And look, I think this Canadian squad could advance to the semifinals. The, the top four teams advance from the different pools. We're in there with Poland and Spain. Poland, who does not have Iga Sviantek on the roster. Their highest is world number 23, Magda Lednet, who's 44 in doubles. And number 70, Magda French. Uh, and Spain, Paula Bedosa is on the roster, but I was kind of surprised. I didn't know if we'd see her back after her injury issues around the mm-hmm. U.S. Open. So definitely not match tested lately. And uh, Sarah Cerebes Tormos there as well. But I think Canada stacks up nicely against both of those rosters. And uh, I would almost, I don't know how you feel. I would almost say like to me, even though Layla's ranking is is kind of down there, I, I put them even with, with both of these teams, if not maybe even slightly favored over over Spain. I would argue they are the favorite and one dynamic there having the best doubles player out of that bunch with Gabby Dabrowski. I think she makes a, a great pairing with either Layla or Marino, depending on how you want to play it. And as you said, I mean, Paula Bedosa's just had this injury riddled season. Uh, she actually did share on Instagram. She's setting her goal to make a return this year at the Billie Jean King Cup. That's not yet confirmed, but that she's, uh, hoping that's the tournament she can make it back for to represent her country. Sarah Cerebes Tormo, I, I mean, she's a few spots ahead of Layla in the rankings, but I, I think if you were looking at weapons around the court, Layla to me has the stronger game. Poland, if we were talking about a Polish squad that had Iga there, different they would story. be the favorites. Completely different story. If she's not, I, I really like Canada's chances to get through this group. Yeah, me too. So excited for this, excited for Davis Cup coming up as well as Canada pushes forward there. And uh, look, we got plenty of great guests and more content coming, but uh, a big thank you to Rachel Stuhlman for joining us uh, today on the podcast. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving to all our Canadian listeners uh, as well. I'm off to a family dinner right now. So um, thanks, Ben. This has been great and uh, looking forward to the next one, buddy. Yeah, it's been great to, to get back to it, guys. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time. 